This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Otten, from the University of Missouri. And my guest today is Dr. Glenda Lappin, who's a university distinguished professor in the Department of Mathematics at Michigan State University. Glenda, thanks for being here. You're most welcome. Glenda is a co-author of the Connected Mathematics Project, which is a reform-based middle school mathematics curriculum. And so I wanted to start, Glenda, by actually just asking you about how the Connected Mathematics Project came to be? When I came here, Bill Fitzgerald came about the same time that I did, and Betty Phillips came about the same time that I did. And it didn't take us very long to decide that kids were coming into Michigan State not ready, Mm. just not really understanding enough to be able to do mathematics. And the math department was worried about this. The three of us were in the Department of Mathematics. The Department of Mathematics is still my tenure home. Mm -hmm. So we were working out of the Department of Mathematics, and we got together and decided that we needed to do some work out in the field to see if we could figure out what kids needed and what was going on. Mm -hmm. So the three of us became itinerant (laughs) workers, so to speak, Bill and I did the working with the kids and trying to get some ideas out of them, trying to understand what was happening. And Betty was the scribe. Mm -hmm. So she sat and took notes. And she always uh, patted herself on the back for saying that what she was writing is what Bill and I should have been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we had a wonderful time. We really did. We very much enjoyed that part of things. It gave us a a good look at what was happening in the state of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And we came back to the office and sat down and worked for quite a while trying to figure out what we should do. And out of that came the development of a set of materials that we wanted to try with middle school kids Mm -hmm. to see if they were going to help them in any way and to see if teachers could get on board with that. So if you think about it, I've I've been here 49 years, Uh and we started worrying about the students that were coming in in the first two years that we were here. Okay. So it's been a very long time. Yeah with Betty and with Bill uh, working together to try to figure out what we could do that would improve Mm -hmm. the mathematics education for kids that were coming into MSU or wherever. Yeah, but then you ended up focusing on middle school, so I was wondering kind of what led you there to that being kind of the central point rather than, you know, 11th or 12th grade right before they come to college. Well, here was the deal. If we couldn't do something about middle school, there weren't very many kids that were going to end up in high school with enough mathematics education to be able to learn. Yeah, yeah. wasn't. So we finally figured out, and it took us a while to do this. We were in all kinds of classrooms. Uh, We would take over classrooms. Teachers were really happy at whatever level it was, happy to let us take over classrooms. And we would teach, and we would teach a lesson. And uh, I think we began to get our hands wrapped around what ought to be happening in departments of mathematics in order for kids to be able to come to Michigan State and 
do well in mathematics so that they'd have options on mm-hmm. what, what they were going to do in their lives. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that. We worked on that for quite a long time. I think we had a lot of success. We had an awful lot of students who were doing better here at the university. Mm-hmm. And we had teachers that were attending to what we were trying to do with the students. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, after having our focus being directly on the students who were going to eventually come to places like MSU, we then started focusing on the teachers that were in those buildings because we felt like if we could ramp up what mm-hmm. teachers were doing, that was going to make a difference for the kids as well. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of things. Yeah. And to be honest, we've never stopped doing that. Right, yeah, <laughs> I know. So CMP3 just coming out now, which mm-hmm. I, well, I want to talk about a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. But still going back to the beginning, so you started kind of collecting these materials, things that you mm-hmm. wanted to see happening in the classroom. So were you already kind of building some curriculum materials even before NSF did the solicitation? Because in the 90s, NSF yes. kind of called for some curriculum projects. And you already had some stuff you know, coming together, or how did that work? We were already doing what I would call some some very slim Uh, pages of things that we thought were going to make a difference for kids. Mm -hmm. So we had already created some materials of that sort. Okay. And had, I I could probably find some if I had the time to find (laughs) Or Betty has them. Of the early early ones. But it wasn't very long before we decided that what we were worried about was of such importance that we needed to get some money to help us do what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. So we went to talk to the people at the National Science Foundation. And they funded us mm-hmm. right off the top. They funded us. And then they funded us again, and then they funded us again because they liked the work that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So it was, I don't know, we sort of fell into being able to do, having the resources to do the things that we thought might make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Connected Mathematics Project, or CMP, is, is you know listed as one of the NSF-funded curriculum projects, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of those. But CMP, I think, has really withstood the test of time, um, still around, is still being revised, and mm-hmm. it's pretty widely used. I mean, I know in terms of middle school curriculum, it's maybe the second most used. Is that still true in the uh, U.S.? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, but to have one of the NSF-funded projects that's university-based, you know, kind of academically based, but to have that kind of market share and to still be going strong this much later, I think is really a testament. It's astonishing, to be perfectly honest. I can remember times when we would look at each other and say, boy, if we had a good ride, but this will be the end. Mm-hmm. It keeps going. <laughs> keeps going. Keeps so um, I wanted to ask you about CMP still, um, what would you say are the key characteristics or maybe the leading design principles that you used for CMP? One of the design principles, that's fancy language for one of the things we thought hard about was, we knew we were going to have to write some materials that were going to be of interest to teachers. And And they had to be written in such a way that teachers could make the change from what they were currently doing with students, that they could begin to see a difference in what was happening with their students in the classroom. So it wasn't easy to try to figure out how we needed to support classroom teachers in order to even get them to use the the CMP materials. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of work on that, a lot of work. We had summer institutes for teachers up the wazoo. Still having them, right? Yeah. We're still having them. Yeah. 
But when you think of the days when we first started, we had masses of teachers. The word just kind of about Michigan State and Connected Math just kind of went viral. Mm -hmm. And we had teachers coming in loving the summer institutes, going away, trying things out in classrooms, Mm -hmm. coming back for a second year because they weren't there were things they didn't quite know yet how to do. So they came back second year, sometimes third year, mm-hmm. and had lots of questions and got better and better. Mm-hmm. And somehow it just kind of swept an awful lot of the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's not a state in the U.S. that doesn't have connected math mm-hmm. going somewhere mm-hmm. in that state. Mm-hmm. I've been into all 50 states. I don't know why it was my job <laughs> to do that, but I've been to all 50 states, including Alaska, which is non-trivial. <laughs> and I remember going for walks in one of the places that I went in Alaska, trying to clear my head and figure out how could I articulate to these teachers who had been had spent their careers essentially in Alaska and were having a hard time understanding what I was trying to ask them to think about. Mm-hmm. So I took long walks and went back and had another try at it. Mm-hmm. And somehow or other, almost, I can't say overnight, but in a very short period of time, CMP was being used in all 50 states, mm-hmm. which I find astonishing. Yeah, yeah, that's remarkable. It, what astonishes me is I know how hard we worked on the curriculum materials, and I know how long it took us. Mm-hmm to put something together that we felt could make a difference. But to actually have the uptake that we got, that was just unexpected. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So CMP uses the Launch, Explore, Summarize framework kind of for the lessons, um, Mm -hmm. which is different than the kind of explain, worked example, and then exercises for the students. I was wondering if you could just say a little bit about what you think the Launch, Explore, Summarize really buys in terms of the students' experiences with the mathematics. Well, the way we looked at it was we wanted teachers to begin to sort of draw the kids in. So we wanted to give them a template that they could begin to use that would have them getting the kids excited about what they were going to do. So that was the launching. Then trying to get teachers to understand that if you give kids the time And if you actually rearrange your classroom so the kids can talk to each other, Mm -hmm. which over the time that we've been working on this, there has been tremendous change in what teachers are willing to do in classrooms. Letting kids pull their their desks together and two or three work together and figure something out Mm -hmm. and have the joy of having figured it out themselves. Mm -hmm. So we, we felt very strongly that we wanted to continue in that direction. And as it's turned out, it was one of the things that I think made Connected Math successful. Mm -hmm. Really giving kids the time, not keeping them in in rows where nobody could talk to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but letting them argue, have arguments, Mm -hmm. two or three kids working together, arguing over a solution to something, Mm -hmm. having the teacher wandering around the classroom answering questions or helping kids get unstuck if mm-hmm. they got stuck on something. Mm-hmm. And I think the classrooms where teachers are using connected math in the way that we envision are beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. They're they're exciting classrooms. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that kind of classroom environment, does that tie back to the preparation for university mathematics? Like you said at the beginning, that was the initial motivation. Absolutely. Like that communicating, arguing is, is really what they need to be doing to kind of prepare themselves for the future? Absolutely. We wanted kids to be able to come into anybody's university and have all the things that they needed in order to make good arguments in support of what they are trying to mm-hmm. to say, support, yeah. whatever, but also to get them excited about mathematics Yeah, and to feel good about it. And to view themselves as a mathematical thinker. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have right. thoughts to contribute. And, right. Yeah. And the thing, one of the nice things about it was that it certainly didn't take a bunch of kids across the U.S. and make them all into mathematicians. But what it did was to make them into math thinkers. Mm -hmm. And if you think about whatever career they're going into, mathematics is going to figure into it in some way. So I think the decisions that we made early on, I think would be the decisions I would make again today. Mm Um, I wanted to ask you about CMP3, which is coming out, uh, has come out recently. Mm-hmm. How do you see CMP3 fitting in with the Common Core climate, which is, of course, you know, on everybody's mind right now? One of the reasons that we did CMP3 was because of the Common Core State Standards. And we entered the work on CMP3 with a view in mind that we had to find a way to instantiate what was said by the group that got together and wrote the Common Core State Standards, but to do it in such a way that gave the kids what they needed to do the mathematics and to, and to support teachers. For heaven's sake, it was really hard on teachers. Yeah. So that was not easy to do, I have to say. Mm-hmm. But we worked hard on that, and I think in the long run, We've come up with a way of interacting with kids through the materials that does two things. Covers what the Common Core State Standards says the kids have to cover, Mm -hmm. but it also makes the kids into people who actually enjoy thinking about mathematics, giving them the opportunities, talking in a group. If you can imagine in your head what things looked like when we first started, Mm It was kids in rows, never talking to each other. If you didn't, if you couldn't immediately figure out how to do something, you were just dead duck. Yeah. Classrooms, for the most part, across the U.S. have changed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that tradition of it's about speed and accuracy and your answer that you get. That's right. Yeah. And I think that CMP has helped make a difference in that. Mm Mm-hmm. My guest is Glenda Lappin, who's co-author of the Connected Mathematics Project, which we've been speaking about here. And I also want to touch on some of your personal career, even separate from CMP, because I know CMP is always on your mind and has been for a long time. But I know you went to graduate school at the University of Georgia, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit um, about that experience. Well, I grew up in the south, southern part of Georgia, very close to the Florida line. Okay. I spoke differently from the way that I speak now. (laughs) I remember when I first got to MSU that people would tease me about not understanding anything that I said. I'm not sure that I've improved considerably, but... So I I came um, the math department chair at the University of Georgia uh, made me a job offer to stay on at the University of Georgia and work with the uh, faculty 
in the Department of Mathematics at the University of Georgia. And I said yes. I, I thought that was a great idea. Well, this funny guy came through. Sort of a weird guy. <laughs> he came through and uh, asked me if, if he could take me to lunch. Huh? Well, I don't know about you, but in my graduate student years, I would have had lunch with Attila the Hun, <laughs> as long as he was paid. Food's involved, yeah. Uh, so anyway, we had lunch together, and uh, he left and went back to Michigan State. And I went in to talk to my major professor, and he asked me all kinds of questions. And he stopped at one point, and he looked at me, and he said, You are clueless. You are utterly clueless. And I thought, What have I done wrong? He said, Don't you understand? He's trying to recruit people. Um. Over my head. Just, yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, so three days later, I got a letter. Walked back into his office, and I said to him, I said, Will you read this letter and tell me what this means? He read the letter. He looked at me and he said, I was right, you are clueless. This is a letter inviting you to join the faculty at Michigan State University in the Department of Mathematics. Mm -hmm. So I looked at him and I said, but you've already made me a job offer. So he said, sit down. We had a little conversation and he said, go up to Michigan State stay there three years, and then come back here, and you will bring things to us that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. You'll be even more valuable to us. Mm -hmm. So I agreed to do that. First year that I was here, I remember writing a note to a dear friend of mine that was still in Georgia, and I remember telling her that I was a little bit worried because late in the day, because I was, you know, in your first year you work really hard. So everybody else has gone home. I'm in my office. I'm getting everything ready for the next day. And there was this guy that kept coming in, sitting down on the top of a, a desk late in the day and talking to me. And I sent a note to my dear friend that was still in Georgia. And mm -hmm. I said, I think I'm in big trouble. There's this guy that comes in, and he sits in my office every day. And I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the rest is history. Yeah. He was working on a project in East Africa in the summer times. And he asked me to marry him. Mm -hmm. And I said yes. And we went off to Mombasa, Kenya. And I had three summers in Kenya. Oh, wow. It was wonderful. The people that were working on the project and the, the um, African people that were there were just wonderful. I mean, they were so kind to me. Mm -hmm. And I was, I don't know, it was one of the best experiences of my life mm -hmm. to see these people trying so hard to learn more so that they could work in their own communities and raise the mathematical knowledge of kids that were in their schools. Mm -hmm. It was just amazing. So you were working with math teachers there. Did, were you also working with the students, like in collaboration with the teachers, or was it mostly with the teachers? It was just with the teachers, the teachers. in okay. the summertime. Okay. And I went uh, three summers. Wow. And by that time, I was monstrously pregnant, so, <laughs> so uh, we didn't go back again. Right. But it was one of the best things I ever did. Yeah. It just gives you, it opened your mind to how much people in other parts of the world want information. They want to know. 
they want to help their children. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a, a, for a period of time, short period of time, three years, had the opportunity to try to help. And it was, it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was one of the best things I think I ever did. Mm, wow. My guest is Glenda Lappin from Michigan State University. Um, she's an NCTM Lifetime Achievement Award winner and also a past president of NCTM. And I think it's really fascinating that you weren't just president of NCTM at any, any old year on the calendar. Um, you were there right around 2000, which is a big year because of principles and standards. Um, so I was wondering, what was it like to be president of NCTM at that time when principles and standards was coming out? Hard. <laughs> it was hard because convincing people that we needed to do something. Principles and standards were important, and we needed to work on this. So in, in hindsight, it was absolutely the best time to be there. It was hard. We worked hard. We took things into classrooms. I went into classrooms in all 50 of the states and tried to wrap my head around whether or not what we were doing was going to be the right thing to do for teachers. What was it that we needed to add to the kinds of things that we were thinking about that would make it better? It was a privilege on my part. It was really hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a privilege to be able to go out and do that. Mm -hmm. To talk, I mean, think about it, every single state. And in many of the states, I was there multiple times because teachers in this area would find out that teachers in this area that I had been there and I'd have to go back and talk to them. But it felt, I, I can't quite find the words. Let's just say that it was an absolute joy to be a part of the enthusiasm that people had for wanting the information and the experience that would allow them to make the changes that we were asking for. Mm -hmm. It really was an astonishing time. Mm -hmm. And we, we still have, let's say, the residual from that is still at work. Mm -hmm. And I know Joan Freeney Mundy was also very involved in that project as well. I was wondering if were there ever any moments where you were afraid that principles and standards maybe wasn't going to happen? Were there any kind of road, you know, roadblocks or bumps in the road that really caused you concern, or did you always kind of have that confidence that it was going to work out? I remember the the moment that we finished. You know, we're we're all together and we're out in, in the Midwest and. I remember looking at Joan and the other people that were sitting around me and just we were celebrating that we were done. <laughs> and I remember the moment when there was dead silence and we said, but nobody is going to pay any attention to this. Mm -hmm. Wow, were we wrong. <laughs> we were so wrong. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, peop there was enough going on in the U.S., that teachers were struggling with. Okay, there are things, new things they want us to do. They want us to do more for kids, but we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So we wrote Principles and Standards for School Mathematics. Mm -hmm. And uh, we created it. 
It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Most frustrating thing I have ever been through in my life, but it was a wonderful experience. I'm sure there was a lot of moving parts to manage. And I mean, so for me, you know, I was going through my teacher preparation pretty soon after Mm -hmm. that came out. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I appreciated then, and I still, I probably appreciate more now seeing how Common Core kind of happened, was the care that went into principles and standards, the diligence building on the 1989 standards and the 1991 standards. So it's kind of this, you know, very purposeful, thoughtful revision. And then there was also the research companion that goes to it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, it's just abundantly clear that there was all this thought that went into it and common core, which I support common core. And I agree, you know, that it, it it contains some of the residuals of principles and standards Mm -hmm. in terms of the practices and getting students thinking and arguing. But Common Core happened so fast, you know. It was so fast, um, and I feel like Principles and Standards really has more depth to it, or I think rests on a more solid foundation. We did, um, we gathered one summer, and we wrote a draft, and we took that draft on the road, and I mean on the road. Mm -hmm. We took it everywhere, and we got lots and lots of input, and we gathered again in Park City, Utah, Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom Romberg and I were sort of running the show. And we, we took what we had done, and we took all of the, the suggestions that had come in, and we essentially wrote a, a second iteration of things. Mm-hmm. And that iteration stood a very long test of time. Mm-hmm. So I think we did it the right way, you know, putting it out there, letting teachers know that what we wanted was for them to give us back information about how things were going in schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a second iteration that, let, let's let just say, it was good and it made a difference for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And the Common Core State Standards, of course, has made us all have to rethink how we're going to integrate the stuff we know works with the Common Core State Standards. Mm-hmm. But I think in Connected Math, I think we've done a good job of it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't We were mad in the beginning. <laughs> we thought what we had done was better. Uh-huh. But, but we got over that and uh, created a set of materials that I think are working well for teachers and for kids. Mm-hmm. My guest is Glenda Lapp, and I want to ask one more question. Um, okay. And this one is, again, a kind of a personal question. And uh, So you're coming up on the end of your you know, illustrious career, um, so maybe I'll just ask it this way. What are you going to be spending your time doing now that you have uh, retirement in front of you? <laughs> well, the first thing I'm going to do, my husband loves to travel. So the minute that I am done, we're going to Europe. We took our girls when they were 9 and 10 to a wonderful place in the south of France that was a marvelous chateau. And around behind the chateau was the best bakery shop (laughs) in the world. The croissants were astonishing. Mm -hmm. So the job that the girls had every morning, they were eight and nine, they turned nine and ten while we were rambling around Europe. Mm -hmm. Their job was to go around behind the chateau and buy the croissants. We gave them money and they went Mm -hmm. to buy the croissants. Mm And I think it's made a difference in the lives of our girls. Mm-hmm. I think that they they both found the freedom to be brave enough to try things. And they both turned out to be 
in my opinion, pretty darned wonderful. Uh, my older daughter is a high school teacher at New Trier High School in Winnetka, Illinois. I don't know if you know anything about Winnetka, but it is a, it's one of the best in the U.S. It is an outstanding school. And the, the guy who is the, I, I'll call him the principal, the head honcho, is a friend of mine. And I remember that he stopped me at an NCTM conference and said to me, he said, can I have some time? And I said, sure, let's go sit down. So we went to sit down, and he said, he said, I've got a problem. I said, what is your problem? He said, I've just been hired to rebuild the math department at New Trier High School, hmm. which, again, is, I mean, it's, this is an exceptionally fine high school. And he said, I've got to bring some people in. He said, help me. You know, you know people that are yeah. in our community. And he said, so who would you say that I should, I should ask? And I sat there for a moment, and I put my head down because I was the first thing that came through my mind, I wanted to just blurt right out. And I thought, okay, can I, can I do this? And I finally, I looked back up at him and I said, well, if you're really smart, you'll hire my daughter. Mm-hmm. I said, she's just finishing up. She had been um, getting, she did her undergraduate work, and then she was getting an a, additional certification. And he said, who's your daughter? And I said, Mary Lappin. And he said, how can I get in touch with her? <laughs> and about three weeks later, Mary called and said, Mom, <laughs> Mom, there's this guy. <laughs> anyway, he hired her. Yeah. Every time he has seen me, she's now in her 40s, her mid-40s. Okay. Every single time he has seen me at a conference or anywhere else. And every time I've been in Winneka, he comes to me and says, Thank you. Hmm. She is, she really has turned out to be an amazing, amazing person because she's a very good teacher. Kids, they don't act up in her class. Mm -hmm. They they just don't. But she's also now become the person who is, is, I've forgotten what title they've given her, but she's sort of over all of the mathematics teaching in Mm -hmm. New Trier. Mm -hmm. So she's had an amazing career. And my my second child is a physical anthropologist. (laughs) And she's, as we speak, is across the other side of the world, going into the rainforest, uh, gathering data for the work that she does. So our our girls ended up doing very different things, but things that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, I, I feel very blessed. Yeah. Well, that'd be great, you know, to to be able to spend uh, time traveling to visit them. Mm-hmm. Uh, France coming up right away. Uh, any other places on the globe that you kind of have a uh, you know a target you really want to get there when you have a chance? Gosh, we've been a lot of places, but the the way we're looking at this first foray back to Europe is we know the front end things that we want to do, but we do not have a time specified for when we're coming home. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're going exciting. to ramble. Yeah, yes. that's great. Well, uh, Glenda Lappin, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and sharing about CMP and about your career. Thank you very much. It was fun. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.